Well, if you would like to open to Luke chapter 15, we're going to look there this morning. There was a, a certain Catholic priest that he was beginning to get old, get on in years, and he was starting to lose his hearing, and he was having trouble uh, when his parishioners were doing confessionals. And so his parishioners began to write down all of their sins on a piece of paper, and they would hand them to him so that he could read them before confession. Well, one day one parishioner came into the, the little booth they go in, and he handed the, the, the priest a, a slip of paper, and the priest opened it and looked at it, and he had this really weird look on his face. And he folded it back and he handed it back to the guy. And the guy took the paper and he opened it and he, he realized what was written on the paper is now uh, two loaves of bread, a gallon of milk, a box of detergent, and a pound of bananas. Well, he looked at the priest and he said, uh-oh, I think I've left my sins at the grocery store. <laughs> well, the question I want to ask is where should we leave our sins? Where should we leave them? How can we get rid of our sins forever? I don't think they'll take them at Walmart. But the answer is repentance. True repentance. Which in essence means to turn around and go home. And that is what we learn today from the story of the prodigal son. Because repentance is what he did. He turned around and went back home. That's how we get rid of sin. George Butrick said that uh, this parable of the prodigal son captures the essence of our Christian faith because it's a story of repentance, forgiveness, and grace. But it's also a story of self-righteousness, resentment, and anger. Look with me, if you will, uh, Luke 15. We're going to start with verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. A very familiar beginning. There once was a man who had two sons. And from the very beginning, we understand that we're introduced to the three main characters in this parable. The first, of course, is the prodigal. He's the younger son, the adventurous, the rebellious, determined kid, ready to learn life's lessons by making his own mistakes. Some of you maybe can identify with him. Maybe at some point in your life, you've been there. And in the story, it says the younger son went to his father and he said, Father, give me my share of the estate. What a slap in the face. Because when do we get our inheritance? Usually it's when our parents die. So in essence, he's kind of saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I could get what's coming to me. 
smack in the face, right? But he says, Dad, give me my share of the estate. So the father divides his property between his two sons, and the younger one goes off to a distant country. Now, a little bit of a history lesson for those of you that don't know. Back in those times, when they divided the, the property, the oldest child, the oldest son, got a double portion. So if there were two sons, they were divided into thirds, and the oldest would get two-thirds and the youngest a third. If there were five kids, he would divide it into sixth, and the oldest would get two-sixths, and the youngest each get one-sixth. So the father divided his property, gave, set two-thirds aside, took one-third, gave it to his son, and he set off into a distant country, and he squandered it, wasted it. Living high on the hog, as we would say. Eating at the finest restaurants, you know, staying at the best hotels, you know, just having a great time. Until the money was gone and a famine came. And it says he gets so hungry, he hires himself out to a farmer who sends him to a field to feed pigs. Which is one of the worst jobs for a Jewish boy to have. Because pigs were unclean, they were filthy animals. I mean, they are filthy animals, but in their eyes, they were, they, they were the lowest of the low. The last thing you wanted to do was work with pigs. And he had to go to the pig farm. And it says he's so hungry, he wanted to eat the pods the pigs were eating. He got so hungry, he wanted to eat the slop. But no one would give him any. And so finally, Luke tells us he comes to himself. He has that epiphany, that aha moment, the light bulb goes off. And he thinks, he goes, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and I'm starving? I'm going to go home. And he says he heads home, tail between his legs, hungry and hurting. But home is starting to look good. But the question you have to ask is, is he truly sorry or is he just posing? Is he just play acting? Is he just trying to worm his way back into his father's good graces? We don't really know. This is a parable. There's no real backstory. There's no follow-up. We can only imagine that hopefully he's heading home for good. But maybe not. Because how many times have we heard the stories of prodigals repenting many times, but never truly coming home? Uh, Garrison Keeler told the story from Pastor Inkfest Lutheran Church in Lake Wobegon. He says, Larry Sorensen was back at church. Larry, between 1953 and 1961, threw himself upon the altar of God's grace 12 times. And this in a Lutheran church that wasn't evangelical, had no altar calls, no organist playing, just as I am. He came forward weeping, crumbling on the floor after the minister had just delivered a dry sermon on stewardship. And he put his arm around Larry and he prayed with him. And Garrison Keillor says, granted, we were born in original sin, worthless and vile. But he said, 12 times is too many. There comes a point when you need to dry your tears and join the building committee and start grappling with the problems of the church. Well, let's assume for a moment this young man in our story was truly repentant and he was returning home. We can sympathize with him, can't we? He's learned his lessons. He's learned these hard knocks, but he's ready to return home. And he's learned that it can be lonesome when you turn your back on those who love you. He realized he did wrong. He's repentant. And now he wants to go back to his father's house. That's the first character. The second character in our story is the father. 
Continue in our scripture, uh, verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. You can picture it, can't you? This young man rehearsing what he's going to say as he's walking home, kind of going down the road, kicking the rocks. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. What, what, what can I say? How can I say it? And he begins to figure out what he wants to say to his dad. And as he's coming up the main road, Scripture says that the father, while he was still a long way off, he saw him. And filled with compassion, he ran to him. I love that statement. Because it tells us two things about the father. It says first that the father was watching for the son. The father sitting on his back porch watching day after day, hoping his son would one day come back down the lane, return home. It doesn't say the son knocked on the door and the father opened it and said, oh, son, you're home. No, it says he was watching for him. He was waiting. He was hoping that the son would return. And then it says when he saw him, he got up and he ran to him. A little history lesson here. Uh, men back then, they didn't run. Running is very undignified. Running was not respected. And so men would walk and they would, they would, they would just walk. They would be slow and respectful about it. So to say that he ran to his son, his audience is hearing that going, wow. He didn't care about what other people would think, what other people would see him do, how his servants might react. No, he was just so excited. His son was returning home. He ran to him and he puts his arm around him. And the son begins his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father just stops him. He goes, stop. He says, he yells to his servants, quick, bring a robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. Go get the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Because my son was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive again. And the father in the story, of course, we know he represents God. God in all of his grace and all of his love and all of his forgiveness for us. Helmut Thiekley said this parable should be called the parable of the waiting father rather than the parable of the prodigal son. Because everything depends on God's grace. Let me say that again. Everything depends on God's grace. Uh, Franklin Graham tells about his own return home as a prodigal son. If you, know, you may know, Franklin Graham is the son of the, the evangelist Billy Graham. And he, of course, uh, by his own admission, was a rebel. He said he openly opposed everything, every virtue his parents stood for including the Christian faith. He smoked, he drank, he cursed, he caroused, he did it all. But in the book he wrote, he, he paints the picture of that day that he returns home. He had just been kicked out of a very conservative college in Texas because he took a co-ed off campus for the weekend. And he writes in his book, he said, the drive home from Texas was dreary. Maybe by driving slow, I was prolonging the inevitable. I would have to face my parents. I would have to see the disappointments. They had invested a lot of money in my education, and now I've messed up. 
He said, I drove through the gate. I started up the road, imagining the lecture I was about to receive from my parents. So many other times I've come home, I could hardly wait to say hello, but not this time. I saw my mama standing there on the front porch, and I just wanted to hide in the nearest hole. It was one of the few times I could remember not wanting to look her in the eye. He said, I had barely had the nerve to lift my head or extend my arms, but I didn't need to. He said, Mama wrapped her arms around me, and with a smile, she says, Welcome home, Franklin. That's the grace of God that we can never truly understand, isn't it? That's the love that only God has for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much. That is his character, unconditional love. But there's one more character in the story, the the elder brother. The kind of set to the side part of the story. Pick, Pick it up with me in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, after all these years, I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he's found. This brother's story is so much different than the younger brother, isn't it? The the elder brother, he didn't go off to a faraway country. He didn't lose all of his inheritance, squandering it. He didn't have to sit and feed and live among pigs. He stayed home. He did what was expected of him. He was obedient to a fault. But listen to how he responds to his brother's return. He was out in the field, and he hears, he hears commotion. He hears music and dancing, and he gets a slave, and he says, what's going on? And he says, your brother's home. And so your dad threw a party. And it says, the older brother became so angry, he refused to go in. He was so angry that his dad was celebrating his brother's return. He refuses to go in. And so his dad goes out and pleads with him. And he answers his father like this. He says, all these years... I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Notice how he compares his relationship with his father. He says, I've been slaving for you. These are very revealing words. He's not saying, I've worked for you. He didn't say, I served you. He didn't say, I've been helping you on the farm. No, he said, I have been slaving for you. Pastor Tim Keller says that's called duty without beauty. And notice how he refers to his brother. He says, when this son of yours comes home. He can't even call him his brother. He says, when the son of yours comes home, look what you did. And the father tries to set him straight. He says, son, he says, everything I have is yours. Everything here is yours. 
But we have to celebrate because this brother of yours, he wants him to understand this is your brother. This brother of yours has come home. He is dead and is alive again. See, sometimes that happens to people that are eager to condemn those who are weaker, who have been given into temptation. They want to condemn them. But we have to remember that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all here to encourage each other, to help each other, to be there for each other when we have fallen. This elder son looks with critical eyes at both his brother who has broken all the rules and his father who's so eager to welcome him back. He's spiteful and he's angry and he's resentful. And maybe sometimes we understand that. Sometimes we might ask God, uh, why? Why do you bend over backward to welcome home the wayward and yet seem to ignore those of us who have always played by the rules? But it's important that we hear this message. See, most times when we read this story, we kind of put the older brother as a, a minor character, right? A lot of times you don't even read that second half. You just stop where the father celebrates. But, but maybe that's not what Jesus had in mind. Remember who he's telling this parable to. If you look at the very first verse of 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, he's telling this parable to the religious leaders of the day. The story of the prodigal is intended to both give hope to the tax collectors and sinners, but also be a devastating judgment on the attitudes and actions of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, they are the elder brother in this parable. They're the ones that are keeping the law and always looking down their noses on those that aren't as good as they are. And you know, the sad thing is that that happens a lot in our society today. That's how a lot of people think the church looks to them. Joseph Stalwell, president of Moody Bible Institute, uh, preached on this topic once, and he started this. He said, I've never known a time when Christians have been more mad about more things than we are now. We're angry about values, politics, television, media, education. We're the violation of the unborn, condoms and criminals. We're shouting more, shouting at the doctors of abortion clinics. Publicly, we're perceived to be long on madness and short on mercy. We've been grumbling warriors instead of committed seekers. Do you, do, you, do you understand what he's talking about? So often today we're so quick to judge and so quick to yell and we're forgetting about the love and the mercy that God has shown us and asked us to show others. And it's those kind of attitudes that make it difficult for us as the church to reach the lost. So three characters the penitent prodigal, his loving, gracious father, God, and the smug, self-righteous brother. And this morning, as we come to our invitation time, my question is, are you the prodigal? Because if you're the prodigal, it's not too late to come home. God is here, and he's waiting for you. Arms outstretched, just waiting for you to return, to turn around and come home. And if you're the elder brother... Also, come home. I know it's harder for us to see that sin than for our weaker brother and sister. But we have the sin of self-righteousness. 
you're the older brother, that may be the most deadly sin of all. Just come home. Father's waiting. If you have a decision to make, I invite you to come. Our invitation hymn is 479.